Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Startup Diaries podcast, brought to you by Bern Sheehan, a leading insights-driven technology recruitment business located in Manchester and London. In this episode, we have Harry Bremner, founder of Tugs. Tugs is an award-winning pets wellness startup, creating freshly prepared dog food in a sustainable way. But there's a twist. Their secret superpower is insects, providing a sustainable edge to their product, whilst not compromising on protein or minerals. Harry talks about his entrepreneurial journey of founding multiple businesses, including a student storage service, an events company, and a digital marketing agency before creating Tugs. We dive into his interest for sustainable food sources and his research into entomophagy, which is insects as a food source. After learning about changing EU regulations, which allowed insects to be used in aquafeed in 2017, Harry demonstrates how understanding changing regulatory landscapes can spark innovation. Tugs have proved that personalization and attention to sustainability can be significant differentiators in a crowded market offering a unique selling proposition. Harry talked to how he's scaled up Tugs from a pet tech startup to a thriving, scaling business. We think it's a great episode. We hope you enjoy it. Well, hello, Harry. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Do you want to start off by giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself and the business? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Harry. I'm the founder of Tugs. And a bit about my background, Tugs is technically my fourth startup. So I, I studied before at St Andrews University and graduated in 2018. When I was there, my first year, I set up a student storage company mm-hmm. called Local Student Storage. It still operates just in Scotland. It's an on-demand storage platform. So if you can imagine over the summer, if, you know, students go home to the States, Asia, they don't want to mm-hmm. take all their items. You click a button, we collect your items, store it for however long you want. And when you get back to uni, we return it. And that company still operates, actually. And then I set up an events company, which I sold, and then moved down to London and set up a digital marketing agency. And after that, I then went to business school and started working on Tugs, which is obviously what 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 I'm going to be talking about today in a bit more detail. Yeah, do you want to dive into a bit about how you got started with Tugs? Because you obviously you've, you've set up a range of businesses there, and now you're getting involved in the pet food arena. Yeah, so how, yeah. how on earth did that happen? So I basically, I learned in, in 2017, the EU passed regulation to allow insects to be used in aqua feed for fish farms. And I became fascinated with this idea of eating insects, entomophagy it's called. I'd never read about it, heard about it before. And I thought it was such a fascinating idea because I was reading about the world food crisis. So in the next 50 years, we need to create more food than than has been created in the entirety of human history because of rising populations, land scarcity, etc. And I thought, you know, we eat crustaceans, lobsters are a delicacy. You know, over 2 billion people in the world eat insects every day. And I was like, so why don't we? Like, what is, I was so curious about it. And so my initial idea, I sat on it for five, not four, four years until I was doing my master's at UCL. And I had the opportunity to, to basically the idea of this course at the business school was you come in with an idea and you test the feasibility and the viability of it. And my idea was to create aquafeed using insects for Scottish salmon farms. Mm. So that was my initial idea. And so it just kind of came from like an interest in, in the space and over the course of 10, 12 months, I realized it pivoted very quickly into dog food. Mm-hmm. Um, the first realization was that creating 
aqua feed for Scottish salmon farms, the scale that you would need is insane. Right. The, the, the minimum order quantity from a farm for, for, for feed is about 100 tonnes. So you can imagine how much your, your you, you know, the startup capital you would need to actually create yeah. that volume. And, and I started reading about the dog food industry. And, and, and so that's kind of how I came into the market. Yeah, how do you get 100 tonnes of <laughs> yeah, where do you feed. store them? How do you, yeah. How's... Well, so I, I didn't dive too deeply. Once, <laughs> I, once I realized the numbers, I think I did a bit of research and I think it would be between 8 and 12 million of capital I would need to get started for that, for the systems, the technology and everything. And it's a lovely idea, maybe come back to it, but not, not right now. So why, why insect protein out of everything? Why is that the way forward? So the, I mean, inter- insects in themselves are, they're like a superpower. So as I've alluded to with this world food crisis and, you know, the scarcity of proteins and the, the requirement for more sustainable and just more proteins in general in the future, there are multiple ways that, you know, there are multiple new sort of or innovative proteins being researched. For example, there's microbial fermentation, lab-grown meats. There are interesting companies that can create proteins from methane, etc. But doing that at scale is incredibly difficult. Insects, on the other hand, have up to 50% protein, all essential amino acids required for a complete balanced dog diet, for example. Uh, a lot of insects have more calcium than milk, more iron than steak. So they're dense in vitamins, minerals, and they require 96, roughly 96% less land, water, and you know, emit 2 to 4% of the carbon emissions mm. to create the same volume of protein as beef. So they're remarkable in terms of the food production cycle. It, it takes, you know, within a month, you can have a large proportion of edible insect protein as opposed to the life cycle of beef, for example, mm, yeah. or even poultry. So, and they can feed off food waste. Mm. You, they have a, about a one to a two point, a two to one food convert, feed conversion ratio. So for beef, you need about 12 kilograms of soya or soybean to create a kilogram of, of beef, mm. edible beef protein. For black soldier fly larvae or black soldier fly insects, it's about two, one to two kilograms. And it can be banana peel, orange peel, mm. coffee, used coffee granules. So that's why it's a very sustainable and nutritious option. And imagine as well with the amount of water that you'd also need for you know, your beef focused protein, mm. the amount of water that that cow or cattle is, is using. You know, even I think it's, I think I read something about even just like eggs that are the amount of water that it takes for you to produce X amount of eggs to them. Oh, precisely. Well. Yeah, yeah. The water and the land requirement as well. You know, yeah. there's a scarcity of land and yeah, issues relating to, you know, you look at alternative proteins like soy and, you know, you look you, that's related to deforestation in the Amazon, et cetera. Yeah. So it's, it's a very solid option yeah. or potential solution. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm a dog owner, got a cocker spaniel called yeah. Luther, who is a little bit nuts, let's say. I use a competitor brand on a kind of monthly, you know, subscription mm-hmm. that comes through. What would you say to convince someone like me to to move over to Tugs? So I mean, a couple of things. So a little bit more about Tugs as well. So Tugs is an insect-based product, but the key thing about Tugs, and when I was researching the industry, what I learned is that one pet food accounts for up to thirty percent of the carbon emissions related to food production. It's very unsustainable. But when you think, you know, there's 25 million cats and dogs in the UK, 150 million dogs in the US, et cetera, massive carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. 
but one of the, the most important things and one of the main reasons I wanted to start Tugs is that I read that dogs fed freshly cooked, home-cooked, fresh meals live on average 32 months longer than dogs fed processed kibble. Oh, wow. Okay. 32 months. It's, it's absolutely insane. That's a study by Dr. Gerard Lippert on the lifespan of, of a dog. Um, and, you know, over 80% of dogs in the UK eat highly processed dry kibble. Over half of dogs, 51% UK are obese. I believe roughly 47% die from cancer. So there are all these health issues and problems related to our dogs. There's sustainability issues. So what Tugs is, is Tugs is a freshly cooked dog food that uses a range of fresh meats, fish, and ve vegetable, and insect. We gently cook the ingredients at around 110 degrees for 20 minutes, and we freeze it mm -hmm. to retain the nutrition. And an important thing is that we have an algorithm. So you go on the website and you let us know your dog's details, age, breed, weight, neutered status, all these details about your dog. Mm -hmm. And we create a customized, tailored meal plan just for your dog. And so that means that one, they're getting everything that they need. You know, they're, you're not over or under feeding them, which is a massive issue. When you buy kibble from the supermarket, it says, you know, one scoop for a dog between five and 11 kilograms of weight. And you're like, what, what does that mean? It's, it, yeah. it's an issue. And, and yes, yeah, so, and, and it means that you're getting freshly cooked, healthy meals that you could eat yourself. So, so I mean, th th those, the key reasons would be to, firstly, to assist with your dog's health, mm -hmm. of course. And then because we have, you know, we're trying to reduce our reliance on livestock and, and make it more sustainable. Yeah. So you're obviously incredibly entrepreneurial yourself. You've set up other businesses, ones that are running still in the background, but why are you so focused and excited about Tugs? Yeah, no, so that's a good question because, you know, as alluded to, there's still, you know, I still have a student storage company, which, you know, I don't run directly myself, but it's always been a consideration that I could scale that. You know, the self-storage market in the UK is growing massively. Mm -hmm. It's worth multiple billions, the student storage industry or student, you know, yeah, it's student storage industry is also growing as well, et cetera, et cetera. But it, you know, the truth is when I started working on TUGS and it, it has excited me a lot more, I think because there's a real opportunity here to change consumer habits. There's an opportunity to create a product that's never been created before. Mm -hmm. As far as I'm aware, TUGS is the only fresh cooked product with insects, certainly in Europe, but I haven't seen anything else. I can't speak, I can't say worldwide because I don't know, but it's certainly in, in the UK, 100%, Europe, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you know, we're releasing a range of treats, which are going to be the first freeze-dried mealworm treats with premium probiotics that have been created. So there's an opportunity here to, to really change consumer habits, to, to make an, a, a tangible change in the industry. Mm -hmm. And that comes with massive opportunity for, for scaling and for, you know, for growth etc as well so mm -hmm. i think those are the key reasons yeah that driving that habit that change in the guest behavior is going to be an interesting one is there an adaptation isn't it good uptake from people who do try it and yeah I'm, well the, the majority i i think from a consumer point of view they aren't and this was what my research indicated as well consumers aren't going to purchase a product for their dog specifically just because it's more sustainable it, it ha for a, a food, dog food product mm -hmm. you know it has to be nutritionally beneficial mm -hmm. had, the quality has to be there mm -hmm. so that's that's what we prioritize in our product development yeah. this is the healthiest product on the market mm -hmm. this is the best quality product on the market and then what we're doing in the background is we're saying we're making this as, for you as sustainably as we can mm -hmm. and i think that's a good way for brands to go you know you, it's all about the quality of the product and if you can then just if 
the brand takes the responsibility, the company takes the responsibility to, to make it sustainably, it's advantageous to, to everyone. So, so yeah, but I mean, the insight question, there is an educational piece around it. We see more, a lot of people order out of curiosity and they're disappointed when the food arrives and it's it just looks like a bolognese. It's, you're not seeing insects in it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not that's not what the future of insect consumption is going to look like. Mm-hmm. I was at a restaurant a few weeks ago that made insect meals based on crickets, mm-hmm. and it was like croquettes. There was ragu, other other meals, and you would you just would never know. Yeah, and and it's like sort of you know plant based meats. You you don't. You know, you're not just seeing soy. You know, whatever it is, it it, it looks normal, yeah. and that, and that's and that's what we want to yeah. to show. It's not, not. I don't necessarily eat insect protein, but I I don't eat a lot of meats, and I use replacement substitution and stuff. And I mm. think nowadays they're not far off really replicating it. And no, oh, yeah, the taste is so wrapped up in the sauces and the things that are around it. The meat well, textures exactly, just, and and things like you know mealworm, which we're using for our upcoming treats that they haven't launched yet, should be in Q1 2024. They smell and taste the exact same as peanut butter. Right, okay. It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 it's which is yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 not really what you expect. Yeah, that's interesting. I think one one of the things that I'd love to dive into with you as well, because this is obviously a software engineering focused podcast, really, in the fact that we're technology recruiters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've had to wear so many hats as a founder right so you've even turned your hand to software engineering at times with your businesses you've probably had to wear a million and one other hats as well how do you go about scaling yourself up in those areas not just software engineering but like you know how do you keep, keep going yeah well no, i think i mean a consideration for the last since i left my undergraduate degree which was in 2018 i, I because of, i created businesses when i was studying my undergraduate i knew that that's what i wanted to do yeah you know, I, I had an opportunity to go into investment banking and I turned it down, not knowing what exactly what I wanted to do, but knowing I wanted to do my own thing. And so that's why I set up firstly a digital marketing agency. So I, I wanted to have the experience of working directly with startups, running their performance marketing ads, yeah. their content creation, social media management. And so that was kind of like a box ticked just because of the, the requirements, you know, that I that I saw would be, would be needed when the opportunity came to create a startup. Mm-hmm. And then software engineering is now... Oh, well, along with data analytics, it's integral. To, there, there, you know, the idea of sort of a tech startup as a description of a company, I don't really think exists. As, you know, as its own category, every every startup's now a tech startup. Yeah. You know, we investors call Tugs a pet tech company. Yep. Which is which is fine by me. It sounds <laughs> great, but you know, twenty years ago, we'd be a a, a pet shop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So. But so so no, I think the key thing was it was noticing from my point of view. Okay, whatever I do, there's going to be a massive element of web development, data mm-hmm. analytics, and so I with with web development, I went to software engineering school for a couple of months to do a sort of an intensive boot camp, which was incredibly beneficial just to learn kind of initial like frameworks. Um, it's for Ruby on Rails, was the tech stack which we now use with Tugs. Mm-hmm. And with data analytics, when I was doing my master's, I audited some data analytics courses so I could learn you know, again, basic machine learning models, which, again, we integrate in, in everything that we do yeah. or we try to uh, and we will do more of. So I think it's just kind of it's, it's, it's a fundamental requirement yeah. to at least understand basics. Yeah. So someone who's listening who's maybe, I 
guess a budding entrepreneur maybe doesn't have that now how do they go about it what's the what's their your best advice to approaching it is it sort of get online start studying or yeah i think just i I try and get exposure by speaking to people initially Mm -hmm. because of course it's difficult you know not everyone's going to be able to or will have the desire to to learn how to code Mm -hmm. of course but i think it is important to at least understand what it means to code what what mm-hmm. tech stacks are beneficial, why mm-hmm. they're beneficial. And, yeah. and that you can just do that through speaking to people. I would suggest reaching out to developers in different companies or, I mean, there's a lot of resources online as well that can help. Yeah. Um, but you do need to familiarize yourself yeah. with them, certainly. Perfect. Well, also one of the things that you've, you've done pretty quickly around you is build a, a good team with, you know, actually these advisors mm. to support you. How have you gone to yeah to get advisors to around hooks? Yeah, I, well, I mean that relates to my previous point about just you know speaking to people. Mm. The, the advisors that we have at Tugs, you know, were never approached to be advisors. They became yeah. advisors because, you know, over the last you know three years, I've probably spoken to over fifty different potential advisors. You could say more experienced people, investors, or whatever it might be, and from that. You then, you know, get on with a couple more. You get on with a couple more than others, or, or you, you know, you have a sort of a connection with a few. Others are more interested in what you're doing or believe in you a little bit more. And over time, for me, they've become formal advisors. Mm. Um, they might have share options and tugs, or you know, have helped us with manufacturing contracts or investment, whatever it might be. And that, so it's just come from initially reaching out to people, trying to speak to as many people as I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it, that's that's yeah. really uh, yeah. No, are you reaching out on LinkedIn, for example? Or yeah, you that yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'd be a lot of probably yeah, mostly LinkedIn. Realistically, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. One one thing that you've obviously done re- as well in the past is you've gone through that fundraising journey. There might be one coming up in the future. Do you want to give us some advice for those listening? What that that's been like for you? What the journey's yeah. been like? Well, I mean, in terms of you know, on paper. You could say it's been really good because you know we've raised we raised like six hundred k to date. We you know we only launched you know twelve months ago, etc., mm-hmm. which is fine. But you know at the same time, I see companies that you know three four years ago, after achieving probably less than we've achieved in, in twelve months, raising you know, four or five million yeah. <laughs> at the same stage. So the macroeconomic macroeconomic climate right now isn't isn't perfect, but. Mm-hmm. At the same time, that's quite an opportunity. I think if you can prove, you know, scalability, if you can prove decent growth and traction in a time like this, in an environment like this, then you're you're onto a winner, mm-hmm. is my theory. But I mean, the the actual process itself, yeah, we're st- you know we're we're raising more funds at the moment. It's kind of a never ending cycle, but it's just it's something you kind of just learn on the spot as you go. I'd say I yeah, and and I think I probably know about ten percent of what I need to, <laughs> right. or what I of what I will need or what I will learn, you know, in yeah. the next few years about things. You, it, that's something that you certainly kind of end up learning on the spot. Yeah, um, does it take a lot of time out you out of the business for quite a while? Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah, it's not ideal for business development. Mm-hmm. Any founder will tell you the same. Um, it's just something you want secured so yeah. you can get on with running a business, but. But it's all, it's also there is an element of it that's quite exciting. You, you, know, you see different people you can partner with, different opportunities, mm-hmm. and 
whatever else but overall it's yeah it's it's probably just a little bit draining when you want to just be focusing on 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 the company but again is it similar just go out there and approach people is that been your and getting in touch with these vc yeah i think the well i think the reality is you i think from vcs i've spoken to i don't think i've had many follow-up discussions if i haven't had an intro right okay Mm -hmm. it's i've unfortunately I think it's it's almost impossible to get through the door without an intro so that's again then about creating foundations mm-hmm. speaking to analysts in vc or making connections or meeting people that work in vc or angel investors etc long before you're trying to fundraise yeah yeah so that or yeah just so that you can get that introductory yeah i think we had a guy called dave from fretcher ventures on dave foreman and he said i think it like 60 percent of investments come from warm introductions yeah uh, it's yeah. it's a big it's a big number yeah no i, I think that's helpful but that can come from anywhere mm-hmm. i mean you were kind enough to intro to me to a vc who was too late for us mm-hmm. like we're as in we're too early we don't we're not at this stage that they would invest that but then she, she put me on into touch yeah. in touch with two other people and from mm-hmm. there it so it just kind of then cascades a little bit yeah. Um, so I suppose it can come from anywhere, but again, it's just about having conversations with yeah, yeah. with lots of people. Yeah, get out there and network. Yeah. Last couple of questions we always ask. First one: What's the biggest challenge been in your date uh, in your career to date? Yeah, I don't know why I started the date <laughs> overall. <laughs> Last couple of questions, then we always ask: What's the biggest challenge in your career to date? I think t- on Tug specifically, I think the most challenging part was the waiting before we launched Mm -hmm. we were trying to find a manufacturing partner and because of the uniqueness of this product you know cooked frozen dog food it's Mm -hmm. a new type of product you know we couldn't just go to a white label or private label manufacturer and and get it made which if we were making a kibble or a wet food i think we could have launched in one month yeah for us it was a 12-month process and we were doing tests and we were trying to get regulatory approval to partner with you know another manufacturer and Every month I was like, oh, it's going to be next month. It's mm-hmm. going to be next month. And that just meant that I was, and it ended up being 12 months. And right. that was tough. When I think back to my time of what was I doing during that period, it was just a lot of waiting around, you know, frustration. So I think if I were to go back, I would I would, I would, would be a lot more conservative with, yeah. you know, how long it's going to take to, to get things launched specifically. And yeah. So that 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 was probably the biggest challenge. And if you were speaking to someone who's starting their own business tomorrow, what's the one bit of advice you'd give them? Get on with it. <laughs> I think because yeah, I, there's a there's a quote from Benjamin Franklin without being very you know cringy and cliche here, but it is an, I think it's an amazing quote. It's that well done is better than well said. Mm-hmm. And the amount of times that you know any one of yourself myself anyone's been at the pub and you hear a friend talking about an idea that's so passionate about for that 30 minutes while they're enjoying their pint and you know it just never happens i think i find that frustrating to listen to because i think people you know if you, if you really do have a good idea you just have to get out and start working on it it's as, e- it's, it's as easy as that <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect point to wrap it up but look harry that was awesome thanks for joining us no, thanks for having me. Perfect.